You're listening to The Revealer Podcast, where we explore how religion shapes our culture and our communities. Produced by the Center for Religion and Media at NYU and hosted by me, Dr. Brett Crutch. Each month, we sit down with experts to discuss the role religion plays in politics, in people's lives, and throughout our world. In today's show, we're discussing voodoo practices, especially as they relate to issues of gender, sexuality, race, and fashion. How does voodoo transcend gender and sexual binaries? How do the gods of voodoo inhabit people's lives and influence their decisions? And how does voodoo help people counter racism and white supremacy today? Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Revealer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Crutch. I'm very excited to be chatting today with Dr. Iziaku Okocha. She is the author of the forthcoming book out this June called Vodou in Vogue, Fashioning Black Divinities in Haiti and the United States. You can read an excerpt from her book in the upcoming May issue of The Revealer at therevealer.org. Hi, Iziaku. It's great to chat with you. How are you doing today? Hey, Brett. It's so good to talk to you today. Great. So I have to say, I learned so much from your book, and I would love to start our conversation by reading something you write in the book's preface. You say that, quote, Vodou is about love. Vodou is about self-love. Vodou is revolutionary love. Vodou has created revolutions. Vodou defies gender and sexual boundaries. Vodou is pro-Black. Vodou is anti-white supremacy. It imagines a world beyond the material realities of the anti-Black political present we inhabit, and it venerates the spirits, the people, and community, end quote. So over the course of our conversation today, I'm hoping we touch on uh, most of the interesting points you raise in that passage. To get us started, though, I'm wondering if for listeners who know very little about Vodou, what you most want them to know. I'm thinking maybe we can start there with you giving us some very general information, and then I'd love to break down some of the specifics of that great passage you wrote. Yeah, no, thank you, Brett. And I'm so glad that you read the preface because I was trying so hard to have my own definition of of Vodou, especially for being in the field for over a decade. And there's times you'll hear things about the news from the U.S. and and even some Haitian people, they'll talk really harshly about Vodou. And Mm. for me, when I was able to be with the people and staying with the people from both uh, Haiti and its diaspora in Montreal, New York, Miami, mm-hmm. um, and of course, Boston, I got a chance to like actually listen to the people and see how Vodou inspires them and it shapes them. One thing that you're going to hear us say is Vodou versus Voodoo. Yes. And there's a way that I want to make sure I'm, we're clear about like the, these terminologies because this is how we're going to be like entering into this, this space, especially thinking about Haitian religious practice. But the word Vodou, V-O-D-O-U, stems from the word um, Vodun, and um, it's a fun word um, for the people of Fon from Benin, and it means spirit. Hmm. Uh, and again, this is different from Voodoo. One, it's actually like a just a very derivative word from Haitian Vodou. And it's a way that the U.S. has also really demonized their religious tradition. And it's hmm. also a way to think of actual religious practice that's happening in, in Louisiana, 
that's also sp uh, spins from Haitian Vodou. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, we're, we're trying to distinguish practices that are happening in Haiti and then also then in Louisiana. So I want to make sure that we know that there is also hate U.S. racist imaginations of Vodou mm -hmm. tradition, but then mm -hmm. also there is a religious tradition that is happening between in in Louisiana or and like the South, which is Voodoo, Hoodoo, Conjure. Mm -hmm. uh, that people are still practicing today. So again, it's, it's wanting to distinguish between the, the two. And I could have done a whole different book on, on voodoo because that, <laughs> that is its own thing too. But it's really, um, Haiti is where it's at and it's in this diaspora. But Haitian voodoo stems from, and I think we all should be aware about what's hap what happened during the transatlantic slavery that um, in, the, in the space where a number of West and Central Africans were forcefully taken and captured uh, and moved across the Atlantic where they're hitting South America, Caribbean, and also the U.S. But in this case, when we think about Haiti and, ha and Haitian religion, there was a number of religious practices that were coming from the peoples of West and, Cent and Central Africa, including the, the indigenous peoples of Haiti, which is the Taino Indian and the Arawak Indian peoples. And they are people from Angola, Benin, Nigeria, the Congo, and when you think about the harsh realities of enslaved Africans during uh, the times of slavery and enslavement, um, the average age of enslaved Africans in Haiti or Hispaniola at the time was 33 years. Hmm. So when we think about like the types of harsh laborers, people having to work really hard for the economic advancement of um, European powers for different ec economic gains. But in terms of religion, you also have to, we had to also think about the ways that people had to gather and find sense of themselves in this space. What I love about Haiti the most is that there's different these different nations, these different people had to come together to still practice their faith. And so when we think about this transatlantic slavery, it's not just about the movement of people, but it's also the movement of ideas and exchanges of knowledge and also how people held on to their beliefs and had to adapt into the new world, which is Haiti. So Haitian Vodou is comprised of West and Central African beliefs. And then also um, the role of Catholicism has impacted um, Haitian Vodou as well. So there are different types of religious practices that if you if you go to Benin, if you go to Nigeria, you'll still see here some of the same names or the names that have derivations of indigenous uh, religions. Hmm. And then again, that has also changed over time. And so Haitian Vodou, there's a number of divinities in in Vodou. There's a number of beautiful traditions that are that are there, coming from oral and written traditions. Hmm. There is a way that these religions have been practiced for um, for now over a century. And um, what is great about to understand about these religious traditions is that there are still like these rules and structures. Some people think that, you know, they just hear people dancing and drumming, but there's like so much technique that goes with the drumming, the singing and the dancing that reflect about the divinities, where they're coming from in terms of the, the, the location of where they're at and even the region. Like when you go from Northern Haiti there's, there's sometimes it's a, it looks a little bit different than Southern Haiti. Then there's things about rural Haiti that also, also looks different than urban Haiti. Um, so again, I just want to make sure I say that, that like, there's a, there are different nations um, that comprise of Haitian Vodou that is celebrated and that is what makes up Vodou. And it's, and it's met with a number of rules, practices that honor the spirits, honor the divine, honor the ancestors. Mm -hmm. And we think about the role of healing um, community oriented um, and how people like uh, really honor, respect, the, you know, nature, 
um, themselves and their their families. Yeah, that's great. That's a very helpful uh, start for us. So I want to return to that great passage from your preface uh, and ask uh, a couple of questions. So one of the early things you say in the passage I read is that, quote, Vodou defies gender and sexual boundaries. So I think I'll start there because it's also where you start the book with a great first sentence in the book's introduction that certainly pulled me in. So I'll read it for our listeners. This is the first sentence in the introduction. Quote, a silk sapphire colored sheet was pinned to the wall behind the altar, decorated with scarves in varying shades of red and blue in honor of Azili Danto, the warrior goddess, protectress of children and guardian of lesbians and gender fluid people, end quote. So I guess my first question with this is, who is this warrior goddess who guards lesbians and gender fluid people? And then more broadly, what can you tell us about how Vodou defies gender and sexual boundaries. When we talk about how Vodou defies gender and sexual boundaries, I want us to imagine um, a worldview where the gods have, there's a gender orientation for, for these different divinities. There are sometimes people will say, you know, there's no uh, feminine and masculine, people, things are intertwined as one. But then when we get to the what's happening in the real world, when people are calling on these different spirits, there's still a, a way that humans have gendered these um, different uh, divinities. So for the case of Esli Danto, who is a warrior goddess, protector of children, she stems from the Congo tradition. So she's part of a major family, the Ezeli family, mm. and uh, that has both Benin um, and Congo derivations. And in the case for Ezeli Danto, she is seen as like the warrior goddess, the protectors of children. And when we talk about the keeper of lesbians, there's been a number of queer women and um, trans folks who connect to Ezeli Danto. There have also been people that when when I talk to them about Esley Danto, they will also say that she's intersex, having both um, hmm. male and female genitalia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what this also reveals, not just about the genitalia, but it also reveals that there is different ways of seeing Esley Danto, which I find is so complex and fascinating. Yeah. Um, think about how the spirit represents the many ways that human beings can be. So when you think about the world of biology and physical self, that mm-hmm. people are like, oh, there's only a man and a woman. And it's like, no, there's many ways to be a man. There's many ways to be a woman. This is what the spirits show. Mm-hmm. And so um, when it comes to the idea that the, um, Esli Danto is a, is a protectress, during the Haitian Revolution, by the 17 to 1800s, there was a number of revolutions that were happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was the United States. And then also from 1791 to 1804, there was a, a revolution for Haiti, uh, where the enslaved Africans of, of Haiti were uh, said they will no longer um, be enslaved by their, their white colonizers. And I want us to know this, that when you hear me say white colonizers, uh, white oppressors, there is a racialized notion of this because of the fact that this is when French people took um, took over Haiti and was making economic major economic gains, um, so much so that Haiti was seen as like white gold. Like the, France has made so much profit over mm-hmm. from, from Haiti. There was this understanding that before the strikes and the protests and then the war that took place. There's this famous story that happened where uh, enslaved Haitians um, gathered in the in the woods in this, in this place called Bois Caiman. It's like this forest, hmm. and 
this is where they called on the different deities and the voodoo deities. One was Esli Danto. And then there's another warrior named Ogu. And Ogu stems from the Yoruba traditions of Nigeria. So they called they called on their hot gods and they <laughs> and they said we are human beings we are no longer going to be under the heels of our white colonizers and we need your help Esli Danto to um, help us with this fight you will hear a number of people that have said have said that um, Haiti has sold themselves to the devil this is what the stories that they're trying mm. to say like oh and then again Vodou is seen as devil worship versus mm. what I just described earlier which is, it's about healing, it's about mm-hmm. love, it's about caring. And when I when I say that Haiti uh, is pro-Black, I'm saying that in this space of um, enslaved Haitians, we also had to think about the ways that Black people at this time were also imagining a world otherwise than the enslavement process that, that was happening to them. So when they're calling on their, de- their deities and... Uh, from 1791 to 1804, they were it was a successful revolution. Haiti is the first black mm-hmm. republic. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where Vodou is pro-black and it's anti-white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these black people are fighting for their human rights. Yeah. So again, I want to also bring up the fact that um, Esli Danto, um, she's not only a fierce goddess. When I think about these colored shades and the ways that they honor them and the ways of uh, we talk about fashion. Um, that there's different iconic colors that stand for these these spirits. And this is where my work is, mm. illuminates um, and illustrates that. So Esli Danto, some of her, her iconic colors are blue and red and sometimes green, but mostly blue and red. So when I was talking about the silk sapphire color sheet is pinned to the wall and then you're calling to honor this div- uh, divinity, I'm trying to have readers join in with me and see the ways that Vodou gets to be celebrated, the Vodou divinities get to be honored, and how this female divinity is highly regarded in in Haiti as um, not only someone that's protecting them, but then also keeping people that have been disenfranchised, like women, like children, like queer peoples. So this is where I'm bringing and having us like be called in to join in in this understanding. Thank you. So. While we're on this topic of, of sort of queer people, gender fluidity, et cetera, one thing that I found fascinating as I was reading your book is the place of gender fluidity in relation to spirit possession. So I'm wondering if you could describe how that works, maybe first for listeners who that might be a new term, what even is spirit possession? And then how could that lead in some instances to some gender fluidity? So spirit possession, or um, in Haitian Creole, pran loi, is a process of thinking about how the spirit gets to be connected to the person. And in this um, liminal state, there's a way that the soul gets to be shared with the divine, and the divine can use the body, the, the human body, to have a way of communicating with the rest of the people and and come down to earth or be mm. a part of earth to deliver messages, good or bad, or mm-hmm. just is um, to, to the people. So it's a way of thinking about human relationships with the divine, um, calling on the, the divine to help with needs of AIDS, and then also just showcasing the, the, the people's love and honor of the divine. 
Um, so when we talk about gender fluidity, again, I start off by saying how these um, divinities are gendered, and I'm talking about how our bodies are gendered as well. So when, like, if I give myself a, as an example, I am a cisgender assigned female at birth. If I was taken over by a male spirit, mm-hmm. um, like the example of Ogu, the god of war, if he decided to come t- to me, there's a way that I would prepare my body um, sartorially and cleansing myself. When I say sartorially, I mean by um, clothing, like I'll prepare my body with wearing the colors that yeah. Ogu would like. And then um, as Ogu is coming to me, um, there's a way that I will open up myself for the for the spirit to enter me, and and when this happens, that I can take on stereotypically masculine features of aggression, uh, anger, warrior like um, combativeness to showcase that the spirit is uh, present. Um, I try not to compare different religious traditions, but I also think that there is still something that's happening with um, African tradi- indigenous traditions with Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I want to put when I talk about spirit possession, we could also think about the Holy Ghost. When someone says that they get taken over by the Holy Ghost, yeah. these are the same type of religious and sensational phenomenon mm. that is happening, um, just to give people some understanding as well. So when as I'm talking about for Ogu and I'm talking about the the gender fluidity, I bring up the fact that there is a male spirit that's now taking over my female mm-hmm. body, socialized mm-hmm. female body. And then in this space, I'm showcasing masculine attractiveness and and ferocity and mm-hmm. um and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this also happens to men that are assigned a male at, uh, at birth. And um, if they get taken over by female spirits, they're also showcasing stereotypically feminine qualities, depending on what spirit it is. Now, if this is for <clears throat> Esli Danto, Esli Danto is a warrior goddess. There's ranges of femininity. Mm. I think that what I was also showcasing to in this book is thinking about the ways that masculinity can be showcased mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. femininity can be showcased, that it's not just one type of way of being. Um, and that's what's cool about voodoo is that there's just not a, a one type of way of being. There's, there's ranges. Mm-hmm. And I try mm-hmm. to articulate that in the book. Yeah, that's great and fascinating. Um, So another thing that I found particularly interesting was your discussion of spiritual marriages and sexual encounters between spirits and practitioners. So I'm wondering, what can you tell us about that in the place of spiritual marriages within Vodou generally? In the world of spiritual marriages, this is a way that the Vodou practitioners and people that practice the religious tradition are doing ritual uh, commitments to um, a, a specific spirit that is aligned with them, that is that they find out through different readings to say that, oh, okay, this spirit works with you. Um, you have to you have to do this. Uh, you, you're connected to the spirit and the spirit wants to marry you. So there's like actual ceremonies for this type of marriage. And then there's also a written contract that connects the spirits. And then so when it comes to like sex with the spirits, there are certain days where people have to take off. There's been days that you cannot um, engage with sexual intimacy with a human and human being. Hmm. And you have to reserve that time for the, for the spirit. Hmm. And what this, this showcases is that the connections that you're doing with humans, you need to do that. There's some connection that you need to make with the spirit as well. So again, when we hear this thought about what is done on earth is done on mm-hmm. heaven, mm-hmm. Uh, but, but also what you do in the, this world and, and you're in the divine world, these are all intertwined. The sacred and the secular are not um, mm-hmm. mutually mm-hmm. exclusive. Mm-hmm. So in this case, as you prepare your, yourself within the dream, 
these um, people will have engagements and encounters with the, with the spirits and the spirits will tell them messages about themselves, um, if they're happy with them, if they're hmm. sad about them or something's happened with their family. When, when it comes to the sexual encounters, these are ways that the, uh, the spirits and the practitioners showcase joy and pleasure. And also, this is something that, I, again, I really am excited about is to think about how people gain pleasure from the divine. I think that sex is a beautiful thing. And what I was able to capture in this in this in that chapter is to think about the process, the, the people that have taken the time, the money that is spent to pay for these ceremonies, and how these are serious ceremonial rites to connect yourself with the divine. And, you, and if you mess up, if you don't treat your, your spirits well, just like a relationship, Things are gonna, there's some consequences. This was fun for me and it yeah. illuminates so many things about religion that is not just about the complexity, about how people are doing their day-to-day religions in contemporary spaces in within um, both the United States and um, Haiti. That's great. And and what you said is so, I mean, and in the book, this really comes through is just how, you know, so many of us grow up in cultures where it's uh, it's what you said, there's sort of a binary distinction between sex and the sacred. And here this falls apart in, in, in ways that are really interesting and powerful. Okay, so I want to shift just a bit then and ask if you can tell us a bit about the Vodou priestess Mambo Maud, who you feature prominently in your book. Um, if you could please tell listeners who she is, what her daily life is like, what her temples are like, and uh, what she in particular illuminates for you about Vodou practice today. Mambo Mode or Mambo Marie Mode Evans is a Vodou practitioner who has practiced Haitian Vodou in uh, both Haiti and the United States for over uh, over 30 years now. And she um, she she also practices in, in both Jacmel, Haiti, which is two hours from Port-au-Prince, as well as Mattapan, Massachusetts, which is the suburbs of Boston. She uses her gift of fashion, which the gods have, um, have told her that she needed to dress up and, and be more spectacular with hmm. her, her way of honoring the spirits that just looks a bit different from the norm. When I say normal, meaning like the typical way of honoring the, the, the divine. Um, when I say typical, I mean that in a, in a regular ceremony, it's usually the Vodou songs, drumming and singing that dictates the starts and stops of a ceremony, any ceremony that can last from five hours to about 24 hours. It's, it's, it's a, it could be a long process. And so with Mumble Mode, for over 20 years, she has built built on this, that when she's honoring a, the divine, she'll start off by just wearing a basic or normal clothing for the divine, which is sometimes she'll just start wearing just white. And white is, the color white is used to honor all the spirits. And then when it comes to honor the, that particular divine for that ceremony, and remember I brought in like there's different nations. Mm-hmm. So imagine I, made, I, I brought Ogu, that was a god of war, there's Esli Danto. There's a lot of divinities that she had to go through each um, nations and divinities to honor these these gods. Um, sometimes I call like the the our top thirteen divinities, and sometimes they could mm. be like 50, 50 divinities. And these um, each each divinity has about three to five songs. One song to call them in, one song to welcome them, and one song to have them exit so they can move on to another spirit. And I'm mm. being very very loose about this. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine there's different nations that get to be honored. There's the, the Rada nation, that's from the Benin. There's the Petwo nation, that's from the, the Congo. There is the Geden nation that stems between more Haiti and West Africa. For Mambo Mode, again, she'll wear this basic white 
And then after that, during the lull, the ceremony, she will go and, and now other people that are members of the voter, voter tradition, they'll go and change again to another outfit. They'll wear an even more elaborate outfit and then they'll come out in even more spectacular display for that particular divinity. So if I brought it for Esley Danto, so imagine like she's wearing white initially, then they're honoring divinities, they get to the Petro divinities, now it's Esley Danto's time, and they come out with something that has like a more blue, mm -hmm. bluish, grander dress, grander clothing. Mm -hmm. What I was trying to illuminate is to think about for Mambo Mode's home is the way that fashion plays a central role of connecting the divine, the practitioners, and the people that are watching the ceremonies, like the audience, and to think about how fashion is a way to illuminate these uh, beautiful connections of the religious tradition. Out of the many people that I've um, talked to and interviewed, there are people that come with their special gifts, and they use that those gifts to honor the divinities. And in the book, I talk about one of the practitioners, his name was Atib Max Beauvoir, and he recently passed. He was a well-known voted practitioner. He was also a biochemist. And so if you ever go to his home in Port-au-Prince, he has over 2,000 species of different plants. If you ask him, he'll, he'll tell you like, oh, I'm making up a name. Don't, don't quote me. He's like, this is a spiritualist for love, for love, for love of this. But this is also used for healing. And this is good for this, this divinity. His mind and his knowledge for plants and, and bi um, biochemistry was fascinating. And if I did a book on him, I could talk about the world of bio biochemistry and ecology um, and how um, nature and science could have been a way to think about the uh, Vodou. But in the case for Mambo Mode, who is a fashion designer, I highlight that the use of fashion and the use of clothing, that these are the things that people wear to showcase them themselves and showcase their, their difference and, and, and their beauty. The gods have asked her to show up and show off um, mm. their, their glamour and their mm -hmm. beauty. Mumble Mode has her own clothing design that is unique and different. And because of her impact on through word of mouth, as well as Instagram and YouTube, she has created a following that it's it's broader than just her, her home, that hundreds of thousands of people are, are, are now watching her and, and, and seeing and understanding what Vodou looks like. And so what I'm also trying to showcase through her is to think about one is education and the ways that People are using their specific skills and getting training on different skills, and the gods honor that. And also that your skills not only um, the gods notice and highlight, but it can also impact the community. When people mm -hmm. are wearing these clothes and people are showing up for the divine and they're feeling beautiful and honoring mm -hmm. the gods, mm -hmm. the community gets happy. The people are happy. And I've watched how people are really serious and mindful about how they prepare themselves for the divine. Fascinating. Uh, and it's really interesting insights that you bring to expanding our understanding of Vodou. So for our last two questions, I want to return to what you write in the book's preface that I read at the very beginning of our conversation, uh, where you say that, quote, Vodou is pro-Black, Vodou is anti-white supremacy. And you mentioned earlier how that uh, played a role in, in earlier periods, particularly of, of Haiti's history. I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about uh, maybe today, how you, in what ways you might see Vodou as pro-Black and anti-white supremacy today. Thank you so much, Brett for that question, because sometimes uh, when we think about Vodou, Vodou is locked in this historical 
period. And that's what I love about my work is that we're thinking about modern contemporary religious practices that are happening today. And mm. people are, are having to think about socially racialized people and how are they able to um, be in a Black religious tradition like Vodou. And part of my work is, is thinking about how Black people within the diaspora, people that are coming from the Caribbean, uh, maybe from the Bahamas, Jamaica, uh, Cayman Islands, like that, they, they are interested in Haitian Vodou. And um, now also myself as, as, as a first generation Nigerian American, how mm. we are thinking about Vodou. So I'm also thinking about, about how pushing gets the idea that blackness is a monolith and, and I'm and obviously arguing that it's not, that black people are different and the way that they think about Vodou are different. And I get to showcase the dynamic understanding about different black people. So I'm thinking about the diverse black people and how they imagine Vodou and see Vodou and how Vodou impacts them. And then when it comes to that, it's anti-white supremacy. Within Mambo Motom, and I want to make sure I say this, that different people have different ways of being in Vodou homes. There are some people, because of the violence, when we think about the historical and the contemporary moments of white people and the power of whiteness and what it has done and how it has damaged communities mm -hmm. and how it's um, impacted people. There are Black people that have found Vodou to be a safe space for Black people. Hmm. That's a, its own um, way and, and way of thinking about it. So when we think about safe space, you need to think about the ways that harm has been committed to Black people for, pe for Black people to say this is a safe space for Black people in this Black religious tradition. Now, in the case for Mambo Mode, that's a, it's a little bit different. For Mambo, Mambo Mode see, uh, sees her Vodou temple as a church. Everyone, uh, both Black and white people, are all welcome in this space. But as you welcome black and white people in this space, you're also getting different types of people that are there. And racist acts from white people are present. There are ways that when white people are entering this space, there's still microaggressions. Non, I don't want to say micro anymore, but these are macroaggressions that are happening in the, in the Vodou temples. Mm. Uh, there are sometimes uh, verbal exchanges that, that have happened. And the community, the Vodou community has to address that. So they, they, they shun that. They're like, if you decide to be in this religious tradition, this Black religious tradition, uh, what you're doing, you're causing harm. And members, both Black and white, have to address those those actions so that they can see Vodou as a healing space. Mm. Um, and so what I also offer is that I talk about how Black people feel about Mamba Mode opening up that space where white people are in, in the space. Again, I'm really adamant about looking at the lens of Black people Versus just thinking about, oh, you know, I want to interview everybody. It's really considering about how Black people have imagined their spiritual home. Um, and what gets illuminated by this, um, the interviewing Black people is that I really get to hear the joys of Vodou, hmm. the sense of belonging and self that's that's different than Islam and Christianity, where like people are, they say, for people, they feel like they're returning to their indigenous uh, religious tradition and, and Vodou feels good and healing. And then I get to also hear about sometimes at times like the harm, like what does it mean to be in Mambo Mode's home that they're trying to find refuge in Vodou and that they still have to deal with a white person not understanding the ritual or, uh, or saying a comment to them that hurts them and they still have to deal, deal with that space. So I think that not only are the people having to, to deal with that, but Mambo Mode also has to call on the divine to help mitigate tensions that are happening in the in the home. 
Um, and so both the divine and the people are also against white supremacy. Because again, you have to understand that they're, they're, people are thinking about love and loving of everyone. And so you have to think about the community. Um, you cannot cause harm and you have to be critical and mindful about how you talk to people, how you treat people and the impact you're making in that, in that space. So again, I want to make sure I end by saying this, that it's important to know that both categories or categories that they're in between of what I said about people, people finding safe space or yeah. people opening up to everybody, they're both valid. And that's why I loved about my book is because I get to see how people imagine different worlds and also how people respond to harm, to structural harm, mm -hmm. to economic harm, to historical harm. Like this is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uncover and reveal. Mm, that's great. Well, thank you for that. That's a good place for us to stop. Thank you for this conversation, for your fascinating work. That is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank a guest. You can find an excerpt from her book, Vodou in Vogue, Fashioning Black Divinities in Haiti and the United States, in The Revealer's upcoming May issue at therevealer.org. And you can pre-order a copy of Vodou in Vogue at your preferred online book vendor now. I'm Brett Crutch. I hope you'll join us for our next episode next month, where we'll be looking ahead to summer and discussing the centrality of summer camps in American Jewish communities. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Revealer Podcast with music by Kevin McLeod and production editing by Cameron Anderson. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at therevealerpodcast at gmail.com and check us out at therevealer.org. Thank you.